0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Steak Sports Podcast, coming to you live on Wednesday evening, May 30th. Adam Luckett, once again, behind the mic as your host, as always. And uh, joining me today, as always, is uh, Brandon Farmer, a producer. Farmer, we got some big news today. As P.J. Washington, just dropped about, I don't know, about 40 minutes or so ago, saying that he is coming back to Kentucky for his sophomore season next year.
1: Mr. Luckett, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty good, my man. That is good news. I'm excited.
0: Yeah, I think everybody should be excited. I think that was, from a Kentucky standpoint, that was the big one. I think that was the one that they had to have. Because with Vanderbilt and Gabriel, Vanderbilt is injury issues that you don't know about. And Gabriel is probably at best just a bench player. But P.J. is a guy I think that could come in and really has potential to be an All-American. If he takes a big jump, develops a jumper. And now when you look at this Kentucky roster – um, they're going to be pretty stacked. About, shaping up. Yeah, about 10 to 12 deep. And I think you're going to see. Um, Is P.J.
1: P- our 2018-2019 uh, our uh, version of Terrence Jones?
0: Maybe. I think that, that, that could be a good comparison. Um, I think P.J. has a chance to possibly, you know, lead this team in scoring when you look at the roster. Um, I think it's going to be a balanced roster scoring-wise, but I think he was a guy that took a big jump at the end of last season started scoring you know, around the, around the bucket with some post moves, really dominating on the glass. I think he's a guy that could come in and potentially maybe be like a vocal point of the office, especially if he can step out and hit a jumper. I think uh, him and a guy, E.J. Montgomery, who, who's a versatile big coming in, I think that's, as of right now, depending on, I guess, what Vanderbilt ends up doing tonight, we're still waiting on those decisions. Maybe they'll come while we're recording. Maybe they won't but i think that that that's a front court that could be really really scary um as they could play very well off of each other and of course pj i think uh he's a guy that i think that was a good decision he's going to come in get a, develop um and enter a weaker draft next year at the draft if he uh shows some stark improvement after a good combine performance he could definitely be a first rounder and make some more money so and there's really-
1: also there's also talk of uh, this reed travis from stanford transferring to kentucky so i mean you go from a couple weeks ago looking like we the only big man we we may have on the roster would be nick richards to now we're looking at three possibly four pretty solid options in the post and with the guards that are coming in i mean this pj coming back was huge and if we if we get this reed travis guy i mean you're you're talking about a team that could be pretty special next year i think
0: Yeah, with Washington's decision, I think what it solidifies is that Kentucky's going to get two of the four. That's two, either Washington, Travis, Vanderbilt, Gabriel, I think they get two of those four guys next year. And Travis was a guy, was one of the best players in the Pac-12 last year, averaged 20 and 10, really put up some solid numbers. And he's a guy that's down to UK and Villanova. As of today, he announced that he's going to grad transfer. So that's a guy that could come in and start and has experience that could be really chip in with some experience so anyway they're getting a front court next year with some loaded experience you got Nick Richards who started all of last season PJ Washington who played a ton either winning Gabriel or maybe January Vanderbilt who who all played significantly as freshmen or a guy and Travis who's a senior who's played a lot of basketball so it's the thing we talk about a lot with Kentucky and with Cal is that they don't have a lot of experience and that's something. Uh, That's been really harped on, but now you're going to have that that balance of experience and uh, potential with a guy like EJ Montgomery, and then guys like PJ Washington, Nick Richards. And
1: Nick Richards has nowhere to go with it, but up, really. I mean, he had a less than impressive freshman season. I mean, yeah, you 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 mentioned that he started every game, but. I mean he only started and played like 2 minutes and come out. He he looked really really bad and oftentimes lost out there. So if he can show any any improvement at all um this year then you know he's really going to be able to contribute too. I, I I don't know if he'll keep starting like he did last year. That stopped making sense to me about halfway through the season, but Cal has his little quirks that he likes to stick to, but I think uh I think if Richards can show some improvement, he's going to help out this year too.
0: Yeah, he was a guy. I thought that his confidence just was rattled, and he never really recovered. He had a couple good games in the non-conference, but once conference play started, like you said, he looked lost. He couldn't block any shots. He was a 6'10", a seven footer out there. He couldn't block shots. Gave you really nothing on offense. Got pushed around in the paint. Really was no. It wasn't. Didn't provide a physical presence on the glass. And so, like you said, he was a guy that was coming out after four or five minutes and really not playing. I think he was a guy that with a, a year of seasoning in the off season, I think he can really improve. And I think it's important to know that this team's going to have that overseas trip. They're going to go to the Bahamas and play some games in August. And the last time Kentucky did that was in 2014-15 when they had a balanced roster of experience and newcomers like this one. So I think that's going to pay huge dividends. And I'm really interested to see in how Cal – uh, messes with this rotation as this team is going to be a legit 10 to 12 deep. There's 10 to 12 guys that are going to be on this roster that can play high level college basketball. So I, I'm interested to see who, how he, if he goes platoon or if he balances that point guard spot, this quad a green play off the ball more. Does Cal give him a shot to play point is Ashton Hagen's does Ashton Hagen's qualify? That's going to be the next thing to really watch out for the point guard from Georgia who, was originally committed to the Bulldogs, then decommitted and then reclassified. But he's got a class he's got to get through right now. So does he? Does he reclassify? And does he? Is he allowed to run the show, or is it Emmanuel quickly? Can he play point guard? He's kind of a combo guard. He's the another freshman that's coming in next year. And then Keldon Johnson. How does UK use him? Do they use him at the two? Do they use him at the three? Do they go small ball and use him at the four? Um, really, just a, there's just a lot of things I think to keep an eye on. There, there's a cow's going to have a lot of tools to play with this upcoming season, and he's going to have to find that right recipe. I know that I, some people are going to scream for the platoon. Um, Cal has said that he never wants to do that again, but this may be a group where it may be hard not to do that. And the last time it did it, it didn't end in a championship, but all season that worked. Everybody um, excelled in it. The team adapted to it, and it, it worked out to an undefeated regular season and really just – five minutes away from going to a national championship game for a chance to be undefeated. Of Cal pretty pumped Indiana. on
1: Twitter right now. He just tweeted out he's happy for P.J., and he said he wants to go chase something special. So, Yeah, and go.
0: even in PJ statement, he said, you know, one of his goals was to win a national championship. Kevin Knox tweeted at him, said, go get, uh, go get number nine. So I think that's going to be the big goal for this team. And really, Kentucky, if you're looking at rosters um, from other teams and such, they're really – in a really, really good a good position. Now, Kansas is going to be that preseason number one team. A lot of media people are high on the Jayhawks. But Kentucky, talent-wise, if you're just looking down the roster, there's no one that's really going to be able to touch them 1 through 12. It's just going to be finding that right mix and finding the, the best five that work together. I think shooting could possibly be an issue, but this is a team defensively that should really be able to lock people up. If Ashton Hagen's reclassifies, he's going to be one of the best, you know, guard defenders in the country. Keldon Johnson is another freshman coming in. He's supposed to be kind of that lockdown defender, kind of like Michael K. Gilchrist was at that position, where he can guard multiple roles, he can block shots, rebound, uh, bring the ball up the court, uh, do stuff like that. I don't think he's the same player as Gilchrist, but their games are similar in that way. So, and then EJ Montgomery is going to be a you know that shot blocker, that six ten shot blocker down low. So yeah, with,
1: with the team that Kansas is expected to have back, uh, or expected to have next year, and then you know everybody knows about the recruiting class Duke has coming in, and now all of a sudden Kentucky's put together some some high quality recruits, and you get the announcement of PJ coming back, and who knows possibly a couple others coming back. I mean that Champions Classic ticket is going to be November sixth, uh, two thousand eighteen. It kicks off the college basketball season, and I think. It's, I think you already have to say, even though it's the first weekend of the college basketball season, that the Duke-Kentucky game is going to be the game of the year to watch. And, you know, you have to buy those tickets in pairs uh, for, you know, both games. So, that's going to be a tough ticket uh, to get into that Champions Classic. But, man, if you can get in there and see Kansas-Michigan State with the with the teams they have, and then – I mean, you're probably possibly the top four teams maybe in the country next year.
0: Even Michigan State, a lot of people are calling them for to be in the top ten. They got – Uh, Their big center, Nick Ward, said he was coming back today. Because
1: uh, I saw where Villanova actually – a couple of their guys announced they were going to the draft. So not only is it super important that P.J. announces he's coming back to Kentucky, but a lot of these other teams with some big-time players on the fence, a lot of them seem to be gearing towards leaving and going to the draft.
0: Yeah, like Villanova, the Big East is going to be wide open. That was a team that was going to be in the top five, maybe even some people's preseason number one. They lose Dante DiVincenzo and Armari Spellman. So now they're kind of in a transition right now where they may be rebuilding, and that's probably the place. If Kentucky doesn't land Stanford grad transfer Reed Travis, it's looking like that he's destined to go there. So there's still a lot of things in flux right now, but – Kentucky is in a really good spot and when you look at their schedule for next year their schedule is freaking awesome. They play North Carolina, Duke, Louisville, uh cup, yeah, Kansas at home in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. So
1: yeah, the non-conference schedule is loaded and we all and know with the SEC doing And that's last what year. I was
0: about to get to. The SEC is going to be really good again as well, probably have close to 4, or 5, maybe even 6 teams in a preseason top 25, so I know there's been a lot of grumblings lately about Kentucky's home schedule. I think next year is going to be kind of a year where you got all those SEC games that should be a lot of good games there, and then you get Kansas coming to coming to the crib. So it's going to be a fun team to follow, I think, all season. And it's going to be a team with very high expectations. And once again, Cal has them in a position to go out and go win a national title. Everything is set. It's... And if you're looking at the tournament, things are really setting up. If Kentucky can have a, a be in that top four during the regular season, because Louisville hosts the Sweet 16 Elite Eight, and I believe Nashville hosts the first and second round or something like somewhere close. So if they can get to that in that Louisville region, they could be really set up to make a Final Four, playing in front of what would be thousands of thousands of UK fans in a very very pro UK crowd there at the Yum Center.
1: I don't think it's going out on a limb too far to say that a P.J. continues to improve, you know, from, from year one to year two the way he did from the beginning of year one to the end of year one, he could be almost an in, in, in all-SEC, maybe even SEC player of the year caliber player, and, you know, the scary thing about that is is he also may not even be the best player on his own team, so... I really I really like the way things are shaping up. And uh, I just – I just, like I said, the big question marks for the guys coming back are can they continue to improve and can Nick, can Nick Richards show any signs of improvement from last year to this year. And if you get some depth down low, then I think this team's set up.
0: But the thing with Richards is if he doesn't – if he ain't ready to go right away, they're going to have options there where they're really not going – not specifically would need him they could roll with just a pj washington and ej montgomery and then if they got maybe a winyan back or a vanderbilt back they're pretty much set there in the front court and then they're also going to have that option to go small if they want to i think Keldon johnson's a guy that they could potentially play at a four in the small ball lineup because they've got they've got some shooters on the wing and and tyler hero and jamal baker a guy that redshirted this past year that cal's going to have to kind of find spots for and so A small ball lineup is something that I think Kentucky is going to use a very significant amount of time this year. It's just going to be who is the big they're going to want to play in the middle with that. So I think that's something they're going to flirt with. And just the the lineups and the different kind of things that this team's going to be able to do, I think is going to be really, really fun to watch and fun to follow. And they're, they're going to have a really, really great chance to end up in the Final Four in Minneapolis in 2019. We're gonna keep rolling with some college basketball talk here. It's been a big day as we're getting finally getting all of the, the NBA draft decisions after a long month. It's kind of overreaction season that whole month. Everybody's kind of freaking out, thinking everybody's gonna to go to the NBA when really most of them end up coming back. A few make bad decisions um, around the country, but most of all, mostly we get most of those players back, and so it gets all all those college hoop junkies pretty excited for the next season. So one thing I really want to sh- focus on here and I know we just touched on it here in a little bit when we were talking about Kentucky's schedule is the SEC's kind of resurgence in hoops. Uh, we saw it last year, a lot of teams made a jump and really kind of made a jump possibly a year early. And so when you're when you're looking forward to the next season, of course everybody's talking about Kentucky and national title runs and all that all that stuff is going to be talked about here in the coming summer months, but a big thing for me, I think, focus on is just the strength of the SEC and what the gauntlet Kentucky's going to have to go through this season. Gary Parish of CBS Sports puts up a top 25 pretty much all year round. He does it on a weekly basis during the season, and he's kind of done it to update it throughout this draft process and transfer process and all that type of stuff during the offseason. And right now, as of this morning he had he hasn't really really adjusted it to the decisions today but as of this morning he had five sec teams just in the top 20 alone in the, at coming in at 20 had lsu will wade in her second season he had that guard tremont waters as a freshman last year who's coming back it was really really good and they've got a top 10 recruiting class coming in so lsu is going to be making the tournament pro- for the first time in a little bit this year projectedly. And then Mississippi State coming in at 15. Ben halland has been there for four years. So it took him a little bit to get going. They're a team that was firmly on the bubble last season. They return everybody. So they're going to be a strong upperclassman type team that's, that should make the tournament. Then at number 10, you have Auburn, a co-SEC champions last year. And Bruce Pearl's, I believe it was his fourth season there on the Plains. They're a team returning everybody. And then they're getting two, they should be getting two players back from the FBI suspension. And a center by the name of Austin Wiley, who's going to be one of the best uh, back-to-the-basket scorers in the country, and then a, a, kind of a stretch four in Daniel Purifoy. Those might be their two most talented players on the team, and then they get most of their team back surrounded at. that. So they're going to be a team to reckon with. And then, and not, I don't really disagree agree with this, but he's got Tennessee at number three. Tennessee was a team that won the SEC last year, went to the SEC tournament, lost to Kentucky in a really, really close game, and then, had a disappointing tournament. They lost to loyal Chicago, but they're a team that's getting everybody back. They've got two big guys in Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield that are going to be really, really tough to handle. And they're a team that swept Kentucky last year, M-Rupp. And then in the non-conference, they did some really good things. They went toe-to-toe with Villanova. They beat Purdue on a neutral floor. So they're a squad. Rick Barnes finally got has got it going there on Rocky Top, and they're a team that's um, – going to be uh, forced, or at least we would expect. And then you look at other teams in the SEC that aren't even in the list. Florida, Mike White's gets his uh, leading scorer back in Jalen Hudson, and he's recruiting pretty well down there. They're going to have a solid team. Vanderbilt, Bryce Drew is pulling in a top-ten recruiting class. He's going to have three freshmen that all have legit NBA potential. Arkansas should be, should be competitive. They're going to have a big man in Daniel Gafford, who surprised a lot of people returning for his sophomore season, would have been a top-20 pick. So you go on and on. The SEC is really, really in a good spot right now. Mizzou, they lost Michael Porter, but they get his brother, Jontae Porter, back. They're a team that should be an NCAA tournament team. So you could potentially see double-digit teams making the big dance out of this conference. And this conference, I didn't. I think it got a little overhyped last season. I didn't think it was the best conference, but because I think they had a ton of teams in kind of that six, seven, eight, nine C range, and not really any top teams with, you know, if you look at Tennessee, Auburn, Kentucky, they're all around that three and four C range. This year, you could have, you're looking at maybe even four teams in that top, kind of in that top 12 area. And then you're going to have a bunch of other teams that are going to be willing to make a tournament. So it's going to be a tough slate for Kentucky to roll through, especially considering how brutal that non-conference schedule is. And I think you can go ahead and expect for Kentucky to, Potentially have the t- stuff yeah, toughest schedule in the country.
1: Yeah, I think if you go back to maybe 2014, 2015, or at least it seems like it's been that long ago. Uh, you might remember, you know, they talked about hiring that SEC like basketball czar or whoever it was. It was
0: uh, Mike Trangizi. He used to be like the commissioner of the Big East, and he came in and kind of
1: yeah, and he and he kind of got everybody, all the coaches and all the programs together. And and the SEC, you know, traditionally a football conference. Really wanted to make it a point to spend the dollars on the basketball coaches and the basketball facilities, and and really get things cranking up so these schools could could hi, could could afford to hire the coaches that that make a difference, you know, and, and get this league on the map in college basketball, and. Here we are not even four or five years later, and I think you're really already starting to – I mean, last year, how, how many teams did the SEC get in, get in the NCAA tournament? I, I mean, want to say it was
0: nine off the top and, of my head. I'm and, not and sure quite, exactly. I know quite
1: a few of them got past the, the first round, and then uh, everybody was kind of excited about that, and then they kind of fizzled out, and a lot of those teams lost in the second round and didn't make it to the second weekend. But, I mean, the foundation has been laid these last four or five years for this to be a really solid conference going forward, which, you know, I <laughs> – when it comes to the NCAA selection committee, who knows what they're going to do. I mean, you would think that a stronger conference, a stronger SEC would help K- Kentucky in their seeding, but that rarely seems to be the case. But I-, I do think that, you know, the investment that's been made in the SEC and the basketball department is starting to, it's bearing the fruit of those uh, of those decisions that were made a few years back.
0: The one thing the league really did well, I think Trangizi gets a little too much credit in those situations They knew what they had to do, just you got to hire better coaches and you got to put money into the facilities. What I think the league's office put pressure on hey, go out and spend some money on basketball teams. But I think what's happening, you're seeing it in other sports too, the league is making really good money off this SEC network. It's really helping distance themselves from the rest of all the Power Five conferences, and they're really having more money to spend. So you're seeing schools invested in the football program, but you're also seeing invested in the other sports, whether it's basketball. You've seen Ole Miss and Auburn got brand-new arenas. You see practice facilities going up. You see coaches they are paying high-dollar coaches. And so I think that's been the big difference. I think that net, the SEC network has helped them out a lot, and I think the fans have a lot to do with that because when that SEC network came out, not everybody was picking that up, but the fans demanded – that cable subscription services or cable services and whoever dish services whoever was providing them television they made sure that they picked them up and showed that channel. And so that was that's that's one of the fastest growing TV channels in in the world right now and that's something that I think the fans should get a lot of credit for and it's helping better their athletic departments and it's improving the ba- the basketball especially that's the big sport that's really gaining the most improvement SEC was already great in football, great in baseball, but in men's basketball you're really seeing um, them take a big jump up and now they're a league that that can hold hold their own with anyone and now they're, they're they're in position here in this season to make a big statement that they are the best conference in the in the in the country right now in the men's basketball and like you're seeing there's teams that got the coaches in place now the, the coaches have had a few recruiting classes, and Kentucky's setting the standard, but now there's, there's other teams breathing down their neck. And just three or four years ago, the SEC really didn't have that. It was just maybe Kentucky and Florida, and then after that, it was really just very, very mediocre and average at best. And then you see a school like Georgia make a move, bringing in Tom Crean. So there's some big-name guys here in this conference now when you talk about Rick Barnes. Creen, Ben Hallen, who coached UCLA, coached Kevin Love, Russell Westbrook and all those guys, the three consecutive Final Fours. Mike White is a high riser in the coaching ranks. Will Wade and Bryce Drew are two guys at LSU and Vanderbilt that can really recruit and are really young guys that have really, really bright futures. Frank Martin, a crazy son of a bitch at South Carolina, but he's proven to be a very, very solid basketball coach, got freaking South Carolina in the final four in twenty seventeen. So really there's there's some studs right now in the SEC and it's only going to get better. I think the recruiting's only going to improve. And it's the league's just in a really good really good spot. SEC basketball fever is as contagious as it's ever been. And they're really in a good spot moving forward in the next few years to really flex their muscles. And it's gonna it's gonna be a challenge for Kentucky. We saw last year in the league that there was no easy games and Kentucky really struggled there for a little bit, and really, that's really what made their seed, you know, take a nosedive. So it's really going to be a challenge for them to really bring it every week in this conference, to 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 hold up, maintain a high seed, because there's going to be big wins to be picked up in this in this conference every week. But that's uh, we'll we'll shift on uh today, farmer. I don't know if you saw last night, but Twitter was absolutely bonkers. You had the Roseanne situation. Yes, I did see that. Roseanne got kicked off in ABC uh, for some racist comments, so ACC suspended her show. So that was pretty crazy. Then a little later in the night, apparently there's a rat beef going on between Drake and Pusha T. Apparently Pusha T went in on Drake for something. Drake had uh, has, has been hiding a kid or something that he had with a porn star. So that got all kinds of people riled up. So that was going on.
1: Yeah, and Drake's kind of been like a uh – not a symbol, but I guess kind of a recognizable figure, a kind of a cool figure around Kentucky basketball. So that that doesn't really look too good for us. But you know, about the Roseanne thing, I'll, I'll say this. We, don't, we try not to get political on this show, and for this very reason that I'm about to mention. It's because nobody – I mean, when it comes to sports and entertainment, I mean, I think there's a real large group of people out there, and it's getting larger every day, me included, that we don't want – politics to be mixed in with all this other stuff. I mean, you have you have, you know, one side saying, well, if your people would have said this about somebody and the other side saying, well, yeah, you said this. I mean, look, the blowhards on both sides, we just want entertainment and we just want to watch sports. We don't want to have to be constantly bombarded with what you think about this or what you think about that. We have to deal with this stuff enough every day already as it is. So, that's my point is we we try to stay away from the politics on this show, and mainly because when you're talking about sports and entertainment and just really goofy stuff that doesn't even matter it's day to day it's meant to take your mind off of things you know we don't want we don't want to mix in all the nonsense that with with that stuff that it seems to be so popular for everybody to do today, you know with Twitter and Facebook social media it's very easy for everyone to get their two cents in. And I thought it was pretty hilarious that, uh, she said she was on, you know, she like blamed the comment on being on Ambien. And I really like, you know, not that Ambien is like a a good drug or anything. And I definitely am not, we'll stay away from the politics of this, but I'm definitely not backing the drug makers. But, uh, I saw the guy from Ambien said that racism is not a known side effect (laughs) of Ambien. I thought that was pretty funny.
0: Yeah. It can be definitely exhausting at times. And then, of course, that Roseanne, I never saw I never really watched Roseanne growing up, and I never watched the the new show so I wasn't yeah too i upset mean I, I can that.
1: remember it being on t v when I was a kid, but I haven't watched one episode of the remake, and it's almost like even the t v shows now are either liberal or conservative, and they have this you know these underlying tones in every show that you watch, and they're always trying to get this subliminal message across i mean let's just go back to to the good old days where we can just be entertained and we can laugh and just blow off some steam from a long day at work and just just have fun. And let's just watch sports and appreciate the players for what they are and the competition and not have to deal with, you know, racism in sports or political, you know, agendas in sports. So that that's my
0: point. Yeah, I hear you. And then finally the Philadelphia 76ers general manager apparently the Ringer came out with a big article that he has multiple burner Twitter accounts, and that he tweets at 76ers media types that talk bad about him or talk make fun of him or talk about the team, and he wrote a bunch of that stuff. and That that got released last night, and then uh, Woj came out today and really confirmed all of it that you know that it was kind of true and that he could be in big trouble. So that was definitely something crazy, and uh. I'm team no burner count. I whatever I say on Twitter, I, I don't I don't hide behind a, a bot. I'll tell you that right now.
1: Yeah, it might be a good time to mention it's at uh, bfarmer eighteen on Twitter and at SteakAF on Twitter. Send us some questions or comments. Um, it's the summertime, so we're always looking for things to talk about. And uh, Adam, I always forget yours. What's your?
0: At Adam Luck at BOS. You can find me. Yeah. Sorry, I need to get better at that. First up, change, change, Feeling like I am And I'm never gonna go While we were recording that last segment, Farmer, we had some breaking news come across the Twitter oh. machine. As Winyan Gabriel has announced he's going to stay in the draft hiring agent and his Kentucky career is officially over and really? well,
1: The draft decisions giveth and the draft decisions
0: take yes, away. Is. Like I said in that first segment, I think Kentucky's probably going to get two of the four back. And with Winyan, I think it was a lot just playing time. I just think he didn't want to ride the bench again.
1: I think he got a nice offer to uh – Perform in the adult film industry.
0: Yeah, I mean. he uh, he'll definitely he'll definitely remembered for that picture that you're talking about specifically. Yeah, with all the nicknames that uh, he's had in bars around around the Commonwealth. But he's a guy that you know, a freshman year he really didn't contribute much. But sophomore season, I thought he really stepped up, especially towards the end of the year. And that that Alabama SEC tournament game, he went seven to seven from three, and that was one of the highlights of this past season. And he was, I think he was always considered like a fan favorite. And so he'll definitely be missed, wishing nothing but the best. But this is the decision. It's hard for me to get on him because, like I said earlier, I think Kentucky, either they're getting, they got Washington. Now they're either going to get Vanderbilt or Reed Travis um, for next year. So, and then with E.J. Montgomery coming in, there, there was just really no really spots for Winion to play. But if he did come back, I think Kentucky really could have used his, his shooting and uh, some of his blocks at the rim some rim protection so he was a solid player had a really i think he had a good season for kentucky this past year but he just decided to move on and that's just kind of how the program is right now it's just if you either either get with it or you're just going to get run over and you're going to see transfers or early the early departures when that when that stuff kind of happens yeah
1: i think pj's like we mentioned earlier definitely was the most important piece of the puzzle coming back and vanderbilt could be huge too but i mean it always seems like those teams that really go far in in the tournament and you know when it gets down to those one or two possessions at the end there there's always a little bit of experience in there and it just it would be nice to have uh to have one of these guys come back that are on the fence that are a little bit older every once in a while but i don't know man best of luck to winyan uh i think personally he's making the wrong decision uh, especially since he's only got one more – you know, he could he could graduate after one more year of school and and get his degree, which I guess he could always come back and do that at any time. But I would not, wish him nothing but the best, but uh, personally think he's making the wrong decision.
0: Yeah. Uh, no matter what happens from experience-wise like you were talking about, I think Kentucky's going to be in a pretty good shape next year. Washington and Richards are both sophomores, and so either they're going to get a guy in Travis who's – uh, senior from Stanford or Vanderbilt who has a year of experience. So they're going to get at least they're going to have some guys in that front court, especially that are, are going to be seasoned. So I don't think experience is going to be that big of an issue. It's just, like you said, perfect world. You would have liked to have all of them back. Um, but that's not what happened. And Winyan's uh, three-point shooting ability will be missed. We'll see if maybe PJ Washington can develop that shot or if um, Reed Travis, I'm not really uh, – Totally understandable how he plays, you know, completely. Maybe he can shoot the three. I'll have to, you know, watch some tape on him. But no matter what happens, I think Kentucky's going to be just fine. You know, it'll it'll be – it was fun watching Winion hit those threes and run down the court, Um, but that's no longer going to be done wearing the white and blue. So we wish him the best. And like we said, I'll always remember that seven for seven threes against Alabama in the SEC tournament. I was actually at the St. Patty's Parade. Here in Louisville, watching that in a bar, and that was pretty. That was that was pretty pretty wild. That was that was a fun thing to see.
1: Yep, that was good times. I was there as well.
0: Yep, mm-hmm. it was very good times. But we'll we'll shift on um, here. At a few days ago, Farmer Auburn has a walk on on the football team. I believe he's a defensive back. He
1: yeah, I heard about this. He
0: suffers from epilepsy. C J Harris. Yes, yeah, C J Harris. His that's his name. He suffers from ep- well, epilepsy, and to, to treat that, he uses a thing called. C B D oil which derives from marijuana. And I guess he had a drug test or something and the NC or Auburn since he's a walk on, Auburn had to cut him off the football team because NCAA declared what he uses the medical treatment that he has to use to help him fight seizures is not allowed because of because it's marijuana based, I guess to say and NCAA in their statement they said they had a zero tolerance policy when it comes to this drug. And it's just another one of those issues where the NCAA is so rigid and so old school that they're just I don't know, they just they just do stupid stupid stuff and this is another another one of them.
1: Yeah, and I got I'm have some pretty strong feelings on this. I I do agree with you that I think it the the rigid and the old school comments for the NCAA. But I'm going to take it a step further and I mean, really just kind of uh, our parents' generation in general. Um, it's kind of like, you know, they just keep doing things. Their answer to it is just, well, that's the way it's always been done. And I think one thing that our generation can certainly learn from all this, uh, you know, just just look at, at everything that's changed in, in the last 10 years, 10, 15 years with, with the iPhone and and all kinds of, you know, your, your life is completely different. Everybody's connected to their phone now. But technology has never changed as much as it did in the last 10 years. And a lot, a lot of that older generation tends to fall behind just because they simply don't understand things. And I think one thing that our generation can learn from that, especially now that we know what the possibilities are, how quickly things can change in a short amount of time, is that we have to be willing to adapt to... Um, to, to things that maybe we're not used to and simply not just say, well, that's the way it's always been done. So that's the way we're going to keep doing it. And I think there's been enough outcry about this particular situation publicly that they will probably change their mind on this. But study after study has shown that this CBD oil, and the thing is it, it doesn't get you high. It's not like I could see if it was, you have to draw it's strictly a Strictly a medication. It's not yeah, if, nothing if, more. If, if it was some kind of, you know, steroid, uh, or immune system booster or, or HGH that he was using uh, to to combat his his illness, then yeah, I can see you got to draw the line there. You, you can't give people an advantage maybe over that. But this, you just have to use your head on this, and and this is something that this kid needs. It's proven that it helps his seizures out, and he's worked hard to get you know this opportunity to walk on and play college football. And I think the people have to use their brains and realize that. Hey, maybe it's time to adapt cuz this stuff's going to be legal everywhere pretty soon anyway. So, let's just make the right call here and let this kid go play football. Yeah.
0: Why are why are they still fighting it? Why is it a total zero tolerance policy boots on the ground, no budging. I just it just doesn't make any sense and you really feel for that kid and there's really no, like that kid, he said, you know, he grew up, he wanted to play football in the SEC. That was his lifelong dream, and it just got ripped from him. Because, I mean, he, it's not his fault that he has seizures, has epilepsy. It's just, they just, it's that old way of thinking, like you think. And, like, beer sales. It's been proven, there's facts that beer sales, if you sell beer in the stadium, the police reports incidents that you have goes down because you don't have people chugging alcohol, all uh, tailgating all day before they go in just to try to keep that buzz going all game. So you don't have much binge drinking it. If you sell alcohol in the game, you don't have uh jo- John's J- John Doe bringing in a pint of whiskey to drink during the game. So he can get absolutely lit. He just drinks a couple beers in the game. He doesn't, doesn't risk that type of stuff or just drinks a couple mixed drinks and then at, at the games, they stopped selling it in the third quarter. Instead of doing that, we're still seeing the SEC specifically, and in the in the NCAA too, still fight this. not not wanting to sell beer in the stadiums, and it's just things like that. It's just that kind of old way of thinking. Like you said, it's just how we've always done it. You know, drunk being drunk at a game is bad. Well, people are getting drunk at a game regardless. It's, I mean, it's happening. There's nothing you can do about it. You might as well make some money off of it. Just think about how much like Louisville brings in so much money off beer sales at the football and basketball games, that all these other schools like Kentucky, like other like all the schools at SEC are really losing out by not selling it. Texas instituted beer sales just here a couple years ago, and they made a killing off of it. I mean, there's so much money to be made, and it makes the stadium experience better.
1: And it's the same thing like we talked about with the Top Golf thing last week. It's it's almost like a and maybe it's just because I live here, and and I hate seeing you know I saw where Cincinnati yesterday they got a major league soccer team. It seems like we're always falling behind, and it's like this this good old boy mentality uh, of of this older generation that. It's just the way things have always been. And any time something new or any time a change, potential change, comes up, the the initial answer is always no. It's just always no. You know, they just say no without even really understanding what it is. I think that's what's happening here with the CBD treatments with this kid. There needs to be some critical thinking to to look into this and understand that this kid is not gaining any advantage from this at all whatsoever. So, I don't know. It's just... uh,
0: I would be interested if it was a bigger name player because this thing got backlash, I think for a good 24 hours. But if this was like a star running back or a quarterback at a big time school, I would have been interested to see really the kind of backlash they, they would have got from that, um, today or this week. So that's, that's pretty much just, it's just so stupid. Um, but, uh, like like I talked to you earlier in the week, this farmer. I'm I'm going to throw this out to the people for next week. We want to talk about easiest jobs in sports. So who has the easiest job? And I want I, I want to hear some of your all's reactions from some of your listeners. So like again, an
1: individual or just like it can be a anything role on a team.
0: It could be a team owner. It could be a team player. It could anything anybody involved in the team. So not not necessarily a fan, but any who has the easiest job in sports could it could be an umpire, and official so so let me so let me and farmer know you can get sliding our mentions at stake AF at B farmer 18 at adam luck at BOS i want i want to hear from uh, some of our loyal uh, team stake listeners just just what you think maybe some creative ideas you you could come up with i believe you've got a little list there over there farmer what do you think
1: yeah i've got a, i got a few that come to mind uh, right off the bat i mean i think, i think the first one would be a bullpen coach in baseball uh, i mean they just kind of sit down there with their towel, and when a uh, you know they got their little clicker button, it's kind of you know every time there's a pitch, they they get their little click in to make sure the pitch counts not too high. They give the they hand the towel to the pitcher. You know the the manager makes the call. They they answer the phone. Not really much thinking. I don't think being a bullpen coach.
0: Um, just sit on your ass on that what five gallon bucket and throw seeds or some dip in. Yeah, That's chuck, pretty much chuck it. some seeds and answer the and phone every five down. innings.
1: I think uh I think I hear a lot of people say that backup quarterbacks especially like to big time NFL quarterbacks like Tom Brady or, but I'm I'm going a little deeper in that. I, I think third string quarterbacks is a pretty easy job in the NFL. And then uh you know we we're going to talk a little more about the Belmont Stakes probably next next week. Um I think Bob Baffert like horse trainers I mean he it gets you have to be able to market yourself and and you know and you have to know the about health issues with horses you have to be able to tell you know something's wrong with them health-wise but a lot of times you're getting recommendations from the veterinarians on that i mean really basically all these rich guys just buy horses and then they give them to you to you know keep them in your stable and then you let them jog out on the track and the jockeys tell you what's going on most of the time your your main job is basically put them in a spot where you think they can win but yeah, I think being a horse trainer is, uh, is a pretty easy job. I think Bob Baffert probably has one of the easiest jobs
0: in sports. Yeah, you spoke on QB2. I had specifically Tom Brady's backup. <laughs> I mean, that's just – I mean, I guess Jimmy G had to leave. He said, hell with this. I'm out of here because he wasn't going to play. But if you're a guy like Brian Hoyer, who's a backup right now, there's not a cushier job, I don't think, uh, than being a, the the GOAT's backup. I also said – I gave Ty Lue a little shout-out because he's a head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And he, I think he's proven that he's not much of a coach so far, but he has LeBron James, and he's going to go to his third. He's been a head coach three years, and he's going to his third straight NBA Finals. So he's just riding LeBron's coattails. I know there can be headaches at times, but he's really – LeBron's helping him pad his stats, so to speak. And at the end of the day, he's gonna they're going to look at his resume and see that he went to the NBA Finals three times, and he won an NBA championship. So when they look at him in 30 years, people are going to say, hey, Ty Lue was a really good coach. He got, you know – the Cleveland Cavaliers to their first ever championship when really that was LeBron. So those are just a couple of them that we came up with on short notice. But uh I'd like to hear what uh, what our listeners have to think. So slide in our slide in our mentions and let us know, and we'll, we'll give you a shout out on the show next week. But once again, thank you all for listening. It, it was an honor to do this once again. And Farmer, thanks for uh, being my sidekick on this, man.
1: Hey, no problem, man. I hope everybody had a good uh, Memorial Day weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. And we're gonna break down the. Belmont Stakes a little bit for you. Hopefully we'll cash some more tickets.
0: And we'll preview that U.S. Open and it'll be going on next weekend. So make sure you are tuned in.